Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Keith Craft. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. Put our hand over our heart and make some declarations. The words are on the screen. Say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the Word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up our holy hands because that's what God calls them. Say this with me. Come, Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we give God a big hand today? So glad you're here. Greet somebody. Tell them they're looking good. I want to talk to you today about the goodness of God, and particularly we've been talking about the theology of the goodness of God because the reason I've titled it this is because sometimes the goodness of God can be misunderstood. And let me just explain. You go to the airport and you're running a little bit late, and in fact, you're running a whole lot late. And uh, the plane you were supposed to catch, you didn't catch that plane, and you're so upset. You're just, you know, can't believe I missed my flight, and you're thinking all these different thoughts, and about 30 minutes later, while you're waiting for the next flight, you hear that the plane went down and everybody died. The next phone call would be, I was supposed to be on that plane. All of a sudden, you're not worried about missing the flight. All of a sudden, you're not worried about, you're just thinking about, man, God is so good because I would have been on that flight, and that flight went down. Here's my question. Is God still a good God if you got on the flight and went down with the flight? You see, too often times we, we don't understand the theology, the God philosophy of his own goodness. And we think as long as God does good stuff, he's a good God. But man, there's a whole lot of bad stuff that happens. Is God still a good God when, like my cousin who had three sons and a beautiful family, and one by one his sons died. His last son to die was on the back of an aircraft carrier in the Navy and was blown off by a jet propulsion, killed immediately. Is God still a good God? Is God still a good God when everything that you were hoping for and dreaming for just literally evaporated? Is God still a good God when you hear the diagnosis that nobody wants to hear, you've got cancer? Is God a good God when that child that you love with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, like my friend Mike and Yvonne, you find out that he's got just the weirdest, most strange kind of cancer and he may not make it. God's a good God. We can say that easily today because Connor made it. But is God still a good God if Connor didn't make it? You see, these are the things that are are difficult for us. Is God a good God when people that I believe in, people that are supposed to be Christians, screw me over? I know that's never happened here to anybody. (laughs) I've been thinking about this subject and my thought process was how do we experience the goodness of God when things are not good? How do we experience the goodness of God when there's more bad in our life than there is good? How do we 
How do we really understand the goodness of God and how can we experience that no matter what goes on in our life at what point in our life? So the elevated thought, the big thought for this message, we said it last week, but just adopt this into your language. Adopt this into the DNA of who you are. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Say it with me. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But it's so difficult for us to understand that. And that's why we need to elevate our thinking. And by the way, welcome to Elevate Life Church, not Average Life Church. <sighs> of course, we may have more people that would come if we just said Average Life Church. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm going to go. Because if you come here, we're going to challenge you to elevate your thinking so you can elevate your life. But not just for you but so that everything around you begins to elevate. I had the privilege of being with a few of our friends on Friday night, and uh, Keela and her husband Cole were with us, and we were at a little concert uh, with a guy named Billy Falcon. Now, some of you may not know who Billy Falcon is, but Billy Falcon has written over 30 songs for Bon Jovi and uh, wrote for Meatloaf, and, <laughs> you know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Others of you are going, oh, are those Christian groups? Yeah, sort of. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it was really an interesting time. But in the middle of that, uh, little Keela Deshay um, said, hey, have you seen this thing that uh, Dr. Carolina Leaf uh, has said? And so she slipped this over to me. And cutting-edge brain research over the past few decades shows that intelligence is not static, but it can be enhanced or reduced by your thinking. And so oftentimes we don't understand that. We just think we got what we got. And we think that smart people are the ones that win the most. And, you know, there was a book a few years ago that I, that I really enjoyed. It was basically called Seven Kinds of Smart, and I could find my smart in there. Because the IQ thing, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but that's why I have to pray for the wisdom of God. I don't know about you, but I need the wisdom of God in my life. But the reality is this, is that your thinking can improve your emotional intelligence. It can improve your spatial intelligence. It can improve your financial intelligence. It can improve your life, your ability to do life smarter, to do life better. And that's what we're talking about as it relates to the goodness of God. So I want to read you some Scripture here, uh, Psalms 145, verses 8 through 21. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. Everybody say, that's good. good. He's merciful. He's compassionate. In fact, the Bible says his mercy endures forever. He's slow to get angry. Put an amen on that. He's filled with unfailing love. Everybody say, God is good. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all of his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And let me just stop right there and say what the psalmist is saying right here is the people who follow you, the way that they live their life will give you praise. The people that follow you will, will be examples of how good of a God that you are. The, the people that follow you, and, and just take a look at it, they'll, they'll speak about the glory of your kingdom. Why wouldn't people want to come to church with you? Because you're one of those people in the world that believe in the goodness of God. And you're experiencing the goodness of God. And so, so again, right there, the psalmist is saying 
that that the people who follow you, the people that choose to worship you, they will tell about your mighty deeds for your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your people understand it's not about what's happening right now in the temporary, but your people, God, understand that they have the power to put the temporary into an eternal context. Your people know that everything that they see in the natural is just that. It's temporary. It's earthly. But God, you're always wanting to add super to their natural and your people know that and even when they go through good times God your word says in Psalms 27 that the Lord is my light in my darkness he's my salvation when I have no hope he's my strength when I feel powerless and David said I would have lost heart in verse 13 of Psalms 27 if I had not known that the Lord will show his goodness in the land of the living in other words I ain't dead yet can I just tell you something today you are not dead yet and his goodness will be shown in the land of the living. And that's what we believe today. And so when we talk about the goodness of God, I, he goes on to say this, the Lord helps the fallen and he lifts those bent beneath their loads. You ever felt that? This situation's overwhelming. This thing is bending me over. The eyes of all look to you in hope and you give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. You see, God's not close to everybody. I love the old song that says, He's as close as the mention of his name. Jesus, Jesus, he's as close as the mention of his name. Jesus, Jesus. You see, too oftentimes what we're mentioning is the wrong things. You see, God is close to those who call upon him. Not close to him just because he's God. So where's God in all this? Did you call on him? Oh, God's a good God, huh? Did you call on him? He's close to those who call on him, and yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those that fear him. He hears their cries for help, and he rescues them. The Lord protects all those that love him but destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord, and may everyone on the earth bless his holy name forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. amen. Two things today, and then we're through. First of all, if you're going to experience the goodness of God, the goodness of God comes by revelation. The goodness of God comes by revelation. God is a good God, and he's a good God all the time. But that comes by revelation. You say, how does that happen? First of all, take a look at your notes. Seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, if I'm going to have a revelation, if, if God's goodness is going to be revealed in my life, it's going to be because I'm seeking him. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. God says if you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a stone. But too often times the Bible even says this. We ask amiss. We miss in our ask. And God says, I want you to ask me. 
But I want you to align your ask with what I want for your life. God, I want what you want for my life. Yes, that's the kind of prayer I need to pray. God, I want your wisdom. Yes, that's a prayer I can answer. God, I want you to do what your word says. And so I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, too often times we're, we're, we're seeking happiness. Nothing wrong with that. We're just not seeking the kingdom first. We're, we're seeking contentment. Nothing wrong with that. We're just not seeking the kingdom first. We're, we're seeking for a raise. Nothing wrong with that. We're just not seeking the kingdom first. We're, we're seeking to have a good marriage. Nothing wrong with that. We're just not seeking the kingdom first. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing things, doing your finances his way, doing your marriage his way, doing your life his way, doing everything his way. He said, this is the secret. And then I love what Luke says. You see, there's the four Gospels. And, and again, there's great synonymy and synchronicity in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's some things in some Gospels that aren't in the other, but all four Gospels synergistically flow together to reveal Jesus. And Luke says it like this, in this context of seeking God first, not just seeking God, but seeking God first and doing things His way, all of these things will be added to you. All what things? All the, say it with me, goodness of God. How many of y'all want the goodness of God in your life? So if it's by revelation, then as I seek God, then look what Luke says in the same context. Do not fear, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Can I just give you some good news? If God says, seek first the kingdom of God, and oh, by the way, you're my son and you're my daughter, and everything in the kingdom, it's my pleasure to give you. But if you're not seeking my kingdom, if you're seeking your way, if you're seeking your next job, if you're seeking, in other words, if you're, if you're putting other things first that you're seeking, you don't get the kingdom. So you don't get to see the goodness of God. You just think, oh, I didn't get that job. Or, hey, I got the job. Or, hey, I didn't, my marriage worked out or my marriage didn't work out. Because if you're not seeking God first, if you're not seeking God's kingdom first, then too often times we miss the goodness of God. I'm going to ask my children. I've got two of them on the front row here. I just need you to answer. Don't think about it. You don't have to think about this. It's either true or false. Am I a good dad? Yes. I wonder why you'd say that. <laughs> if God were to ask you today, am I a good God? You, you might automatically just real quickly say yes, but then he might say, well, why do you say that? Are you saying that because everything you ask me, I do? Are you saying that because I never correct you or... You're saying that because of what you really believe about me. Don't fear. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So the goodness of God comes by revelation. So it's not just seeking, though, but watch this. Take a look at your notes. It's meditating on God's Word. I cannot overstate the importance of meditating on God's Word. One of the things I love about, one of the things I love about version is not only do I have like 50 Bibles at my fingertips, especially when I'm studying. Sheila can tell you, Pastor Sheila can tell you, when I used to study, Jeremy, I had, I, I'd sit in a big old recliner. I had just, it, I mean, 20 and 30 books and commentaries just laid out. Now I can be on the beach with my iPhone. Oh, that's great. No books. It's, it's, it's a miracle. It's amazing. And um, anyway, meditating on God's Word. One of the things I like about version is 
when you go to the word there, it'll tell you how many days in a row you've done it. And so I've gotten up to 400 and something before. And then all of a sudden I clicked on one day. And went, you've, you've read the word two days in a row. I'm the freaking pastor. Somewhere along the way I missed it because now I've only two, got two days. What happened to my 457 days in a row? You know what can happen? It can miss a day or two days or a week, and pretty soon you're not meditating on God's word, and you're wondering why you're worrying. You see, when I'm worried, I'm not focused on the goodness of God. I'm focused on what might happen, that 90% of the time will never happen. Or I'm worried about what has happened, that I can't do one thing about. So look what the Bible says. There's this major transition going on between Moses and Joshua. And, and Joshua has now taken the reins from Moses, and he's going to lead the people into the, the promised land. So it's a significant time, but let me pause. How many of you are in some kind of transition right now in your life? Oh, if you're not, you will be. <laughs> your transition is coming. Woo! Why is it important that I meditate? Because transitions are coming, and either that transition will transist me up or it'll transist me down. It'll transist me forward or it'll transist me backward. No matter if it's good or bad, I'm the one that determines how the transition is going to affect me. I had a man that walked up in the lobby today after the first service, and he said, Hey, Pastor Keith, I just want to taste one of the top givers in our church. He's one of our financial leaders. He walked to me and said, hey, I just want you to know I lost my job this week. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. He goes, no, 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 no. Here's what I know without a shadow of a doubt. God's got something better. Isn't worried one bit. You think God is honored by that? Oh, man, I lost my job. Please forgive me. I lost my job. He's not a young cookie. He's an old cracker. But he's not going, oh, no, I lost my, oh, no, I lost my job. I'm the one going, oh, man, because I, 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 you know, I wanted to be empathetic. Tried to get the tears going and everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I said, man, really, I'm sorry. I thought he was wanting me to pray with him. He goes, no, 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 no. I just wanted to tell you, God's got something better for me. Can I just tell you, in every transition, rewind, in every transition. Can I just tell you, in every transition, rewind, in every transition, no matter what you're facing, God's got something better. He left me. God's got something better. She left me. God's got something better. I got fired. God's got something better. But watch this. If we get into worry, we're not focused on what God has for me better. We're worried about what we've lost. So let's look at what the Bible says in this major transition between Joshua and Moses. Be strong and very courageous because you're going to want to quit. Whitney, Whitney's probably listening because she's get, always getting ready to worship. But Whitney came in this morning. She said this. She goes, do you ever feel like those days where you go, I just don't want to do this? Our worship pastor today was leading you in worship and very honestly said before she came out here, I don't feel like doing this today. But let me tell you what winners do. When you don't feel like it. You act your way into a feeling, and you get out there, and you go. And, and she probably wouldn't like me telling you that, but she's my daughter, so I'm going to tell you that. Because just because you're up here, like this morning, 
I tell Pastor Sheila, I, said, I don't, I'm not going to church. She goes, you got to, you're the pastor. But, <laughs> you know what can happen if you get focused on the wrong things? You can start going, I don't feel like, I don't. and all of a sudden you're following your feelings rather than leading yourself by the word of God. So in this transition, and by the way, if you're not going through a transition, you're going to be. Be careful to obey the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning to the right or to the left. Everybody say focus. Focus. See, meditate means in the scripture to think deeply, to focus one's mind for a period of time. By the way, meditation and worry are the same coin. I'm just focusing my thoughts on either the wrong thing or the right thing. I'm focusing my thoughts either on the past or on the future. I'm focusing my thoughts on what they didn't do and what they should have done or the goodness of God and that he's got something great in my future. So the Bible says this. In this transition, don't deviate turning to the left or the right. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. How many of you want to be successful in everything you do? Because I'm about to prophesy over you. From this day forward, you're going to be successful in everything that you do. Come on, put a big amen on that. (laughs) Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate. Everybody say meditate. meditate. That means think deeply about it. Focus your mind day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it, not just the parts that you like. (laughs) Only then, would you say that with me? Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. How is the goodness of God revealed to me when I choose to seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing things, and then I choose to meditate on the word of God? Turn your notes over if you're looking at them. I want to show you something. Meditation versus worry. Meditation is a strategic focus. Worry is happenstance. Oh, look what happened. Or look what might happen. Meditation is proactive focus. Again, based on the word of God. Based on what God says. Worry is reactive. Can't believe what happened. Meditation is a life by design focus. Worry is a default focus. You say our default is to worry. Oh, shoot. Or other things. (laughs) By the way, you can cuss, but it better be in the Bible. I only use Bible cuss words. (laughs) Just letting you guys know. Welcome to Elevate Life Church. Some of you thought all cussing was wrong. Well, you better read the Bible. Y'all stretch your hands towards me and say, Lord, help the bishop. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Meditation is faith-based focus. Worry is fear-based focus. I'm going to stop right here, and I, was, I want you to think just for a second. Just focus with me just for a second. What's been consuming you lately? Are you meditating on what God is saying, or are you worried about what's going on? Meditation is intentional focus. Worry is situational focus. Meditation is kingdom focus. Worry is worldly focus. In other words, what God's trying to tell us is I want you to meditate on my word day and night. And then you'll get a revelation of how good I am. So the Lord is my light in my darkness. He is my salvation when I don't feel hope. He is my strength when I feel weak. 
I am going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. And as long as I'm living, that means that God has a good plan for my life and good things are coming my way. That's what I focus on. I can, I can, I can, I can do all things, not some things. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm the head and not the tail. God says I'm first and I'm not last. In other words, I'm going to focus my mind on the word of God and the peace that surpasses all of my understanding will guard me. Set your mind on things above, Colossians says, not on things beneath where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for you. Meditate on these things and God says when you hit a bump, when you hit a wave, when something happens, just keep on keeping on. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep your eyes focused on the future. Quit turning around and looking in the past. Meditate on my word and watch what happens. You will get a revelation of my goodness even in your most difficult of circumstances. Come on, put an amen on that. Here's the last thing. The goodness of God, and I could talk a lot, but I I don't want to keep you all day because I get hungry. <laughs> the goodness of God happens through relationships. I can tell you what your greatest points of pain are in your life. And it's attached to some kind of relationship that either you've had or you have, or you will have. You see, if you'll learn your lessons from whatever's happened in the past, then whatever relationship you have in your future, you won't keep carrying the same part of you that was a part of the problem of the past. No, but you don't know what he did. You don't know what he did. I, I know, I know. You see, the psalmist said, those who call on you will hear you and proclaim your praise. And they will take refuge in you even in their difficult times. And you will cover them with your mighty hand. One of my favorite scriptures when I was growing up from my little bread of life box that I drew a scripture out of. How many of y'all are real Christians and you did that when you were a child? Well, if you didn't do that, it's not too late. We have those little bread boxes for sale in our bookstore. We, it's a little loaf of bread with scriptures. And every day before school, we would draw a scripture. And I, would, I had the privilege, glory to God, to memorize some of those scriptures. And that's how I started memorizing scripture, by just drawing a scripture every day. And by the way, meditating on that scripture that day. The eternal God is my refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So no matter what I got going on underneath, in between whatever that is, is the everlasting arms of God Almighty himself. And the Bible says a good man falls seven times, but guess what? He doesn't stay down because he's a good man. A faithful man falls seven times, but he gets back up, up because the Lord upholds him with his righteous hand when the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Hallelujah. So the goodness of God is revealed through relationships. I'm studying this, and all of a sudden, here's what came into my mind. Sine quo non. I went, what? Sine quo non. 
sine qua non. Now I'm a reader, and so I got stuff going in all the time. I go, sine qua non, what's that? And all of a sudden I looked it up, and it means without which not. Now if you are in the law or you're a lawyer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But here's what it means. It's something that's essential if you want to achieve a particular thing. The goodness of God happens through relationships. And how does the goodness of God happen through relationships? Sine quo non. You say, well, what is that? Let's talk about Ruth for just a minute. Only four chapters in the Bible, but probably one of the most significant stories in the Bible and one of the greatest cases for women in all of Scripture. An actual Bible, a book of the Bible that's named after a woman who, by the way, was a Moabite. In fact, let's just talk about it just a little bit because, again, sine qua non. Well, well, in other words, for the goodness of God to be revealed through relationships, how, how does that work? Okay, I know you, you know me, good things are going to happen. No, 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 it's deeper than that. Okay, we're both Christians. Hey, let's get in business together. <laughs> that might suck worse than you ever thought it ever would. <laughs> oh, he's a Christian. Oh, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Oh, yes, wonderful. No, it's not. Because being a Christian is not enough. What's the sine qua non? What's the thing that makes the goodness of God revealed through relationships? In your notes there, honor. Number one, honor. It's not a one on your notes, but it's just honor. Just fill in that blank. You say, how does it work? Well, let me just give you the, let me just give you a quick scenario. If you go to the book of Ruth, by the way, it's after the book of Judges, which meant there was a very difficult time going on in Israel. And there was a man by the name of Elimelech. And this story starts with this, this man named Elimelech, and he had two sons. And uh, he had a wife named Naomi, and they lived in a place called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. But there was no bread in the house. In fact, there was a horrible famine. Things were very bad in Bethlehem. So Elimelech decided, hey, let's get out of Bethlehem and let's go to Moab. Now, for those of you that went to Israel with me just a few weeks ago, uh, Moab is now Jordan. Uh, to get from Bethlehem to Moab, you guys will remember that went to Israel, we went into the desert and there was mountainous regions and there was a place called the Dead Sea and there's no fresh water, there's no vegetation, it's not brown, it's not even, you can't even describe the color of it. It's just, it's just, it like, looks like no man's land. So he takes his family, they go to Moab. And they get to Moab, and the Bible says that they're, they're there for about 10 years. Well, in that process, um, Elimelech and Naomi's two sons grow up, and they marry Moabite women. Now, what was interesting is in the Jewish culture, um, Jewish women couldn't marry Moabite men, but, you know, Jewish men, they can marry anybody they wanted. It's man's world. Anyway, it's like, it's like it, was, it was to the extreme back then, though. And so they married these two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Long story short, after about 10 years, Elimelech dies. Naomi's now a widow. But it wasn't just that. But her two sons die. So all of a sudden, this narrative that starts in, in Ruth, the first chapter, that starts to look like it's going to tell the story of a family, a story of men, and, and that's what we see a lot in the Bible. All of a sudden, it's about three women. And it's about the goodness of God. And by the way, it starts with 
three women becoming widows and two of them being barren. In that part of the world, there was nothing worse than being a widow and being barren. Why? It wasn't because, oh, we can't have our nice family and, you know, maybe we can get some uh, help from the government. Or No, it wasn't anything about that. It was about your whole legacy. You had no legacy. You had no future because there was no man to take care of you. And, and you couldn't have children, so there was going to be no legacy. So here are these three women, uh, a mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law. And they are in a desperate situation. And now the, her sons have died. Naomi's sons have died. Their husbands have died. And now they're all widows. And these two young girls our young women are barren and their mother-in-law meets with them and they're all crying. And she says, listen, there's, there's nothing for me here. I've got to go back to Bethlehem. I've got to, got to go back from the land where I'm from. And I want to encourage you guys just to go to, you know, go to your people in Moab and go, go, with, go, go back to your gods because my God has forsaken me. My life is not good. And I don't know why all this has happened, but I'm just telling you, may the Lord be unto you and do unto you as you've done to me. You've been wonderful. And we pick up the story in Ruth, the first chapter, the 16th verse. I'm sorry, the 14th verse. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Everybody say clung to her. And she said, look, there's your sister-in-law and she's going back to her people and returning to her gods. Why don't you go with her? And here's what Ruth said. It's become a famous statement. But very few people do it. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing. Now, what's the deal? One of the daughters-in-law it's, it's, it seems like the right thing. Hey, you know, I've got family in Moab, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here and, you know, I need to take care of myself. And, I mean, here's this, this desperate, lonely, older, widowed person that has no promise of any kind of future. And she's saying, y'all just go back home. And, I, you know, my husband's gone and you're, my sons are gone and you have no husband. You have no future. And you guys go back and I can't have another baby that you wait on. And then he grows up. She's having this conversation with him. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's ludicrous for you to even think about staying with me. And they're all crying. And Orpah says, okay, I, that's what I'm going to do. And nothing wrong with that. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go back home. I, Love you guys. I love you, Ruth. I love you, Naomi. But let's go back to my people. But here's what Ruth said. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You are me. I am you. I'm supposed to be with you. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Most people do not understand this. Yet this is the axis, I believe, on which the whole gospel, the whole Bible turns. This story. And you're going to understand why in just a minute. What is it about people that causes you to stay with them or not? What is it about a marriage that causes you to stay with somebody or not? What is it about somebody that you do life with that causes you to stay with them or not? Let, let me just talk, let me talk low level but high level. It's like when you're attracted to somebody, and I'm not just talking about it in a sexual way, although that could include that, but when you're attracted to somebody, here's what you're really attracted to. You're attracted initially to the spirit of that person. Like, I like you. I like your vibe. I, li I, I, I like, I feel it. You know, I feel like, like you know, I, I feel something between us. And so it's like this real, it's this real chemistry. Whether it's male, male, female, female, whether it's male, female. Anyway, it, it all starts with, I, I like, 
And what you're really saying, maybe without saying, is I like your spirit. And there's something that Ruth understood that Orpah didn't understand, and that is I want to be with the spirit of Naomi wherever that is. If we go to hell, I want to be with the spirit of Naomi. In other words, if it gets worse than it is even now, I at least get to be with the greatness of who she is. Like, I'm just going to stay. I want to stay with you. I'm making a, I want your God to be my God. I want your people to be my people because I, I, I like you. In other words, it's not about what you can do for me. It's not about, are you going to like, hey, 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 okay, like I'm going to stay with you. And if we go back to Bethlehem, like, like you got people there, right? Well, can you like hook me up? Can you, can you introduce me to some people? Can we? There was no guarantees of anything. She just said of her own free will, I want to be with you. This is what's missing in our world today. Not only in marriage, but in life. I'm going to give some very bad news, and I know this is about the goodness of God. but Ladies, let me talk to you for a minute. This is real, what I'm about to tell you. Nine out of ten of you sitting in this room will be a widow. Nine out of ten of you. Some of you sitting in this room already are, and you know what I'm talking about. Seventy-five percent of women die single. If you're married and you turn 65 and you're still married at 65... One out of every two of you will outlive your husband by 15 years. You see, the goodness of God in the land of the living is we have this right now, and the devil does his damnedest to mess up your goodness right now whether it's for an hour, whether it's for a day, whether it's for a week, or whether it's for a month. Because here's the deal. We are all headed to a future that's the land in the natural of the dead, but is the land of the eternal in Christ. But watch this. Listen to me. I talked to my mother this morning. My mother, when my father passed away two years ago, she said, I thought, I thought, I asked God I wanted us to die together. And wouldn't that be wonderful? Like, you know, if you're married, you, okay, if we're going to die, like, let's, let's be, let's, let's do like the notebook. I mean, let's do like the notebook. Let's be laying in bed together. Somewhere over the rainbow. Not likely. I don't know why God lets women live longer than most men. Now, that's not going to happen with us because we're going to die together. <laughs> I'm prophesying. Anyway. But here's Naomi, a widow. But it wasn't just, oh, I miss my, I miss my husband. No, no, no. I now have no future. Nobody to take care of me because in that time... It was the men who brought the women. Women were, they were nothing. And then two women that were barren. But this, this, this goodness of God began to be revealed because Ruth said, Naomi, I don't know what the future holds, but I just want to be with you. I want to value what you value. I and, and look what the Bible says. That Naomi saw that Ruth was determined, so she said nothing more. It wasn't like she said, 
I'm just so honored that you want to be with me. Thank you so much. You're awesome. I won't have to be alone anymore. We can cry on each other's shoulders. This will be awesome. We'll be miserable together, and misery loves company. Thank you so much. Let's go be poor and have no future together. I won't have to be alone. They come into Bethlehem, and here's what comes out of Naomi's mouth. I left here full, but I'm returning empty. These are real emotions. But there's this girl named Ruth, and she's honoring this person. Not because she's her mother-in-law, not because she's her family. She's a Moabite. There's no reason to honor her. There's nothing in it for her. But yet, this is how the goodness of God is revealed through relationships. Honor! But here's the second thing in your notes. How is the goodness of God revealed through relationship? Alignment. Ruth, the second chapter, there was a relative. So we pick up the story. Now they're back in Bethlehem. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth in the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, now look, here she is. She says, hey, please let me go into the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose side I might find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and she went. She gleaned in the field after the reapers. And it so happened that she came to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. So, so here she's aligned. She's now aligned with Naomi. But watch this. I want you to really hear this. I hope you can get this. Holy Spirit, help every person receive this as not me saying it, but as you saying it. When you identify the greatness in somebody and you attach yourself to that greatness, everything that's great about them, you get to be the beneficiary of. And the person that you're sitting next to that you put a ring on it, There was enough great about them that you said, let's do this forever. But what can happen very quickly is it just like with meditation and worry. If you start meditating and worrying and getting focused on the wrong things, the greatness goes out the door and finally you can't live with that greatness that you were so attracted to. But this is how relationships work. This is how the goodness of God is revealed through relationships. The person that gives honor. Naomi didn't give her honor. Naomi was saying, go on, go. And so she didn't even say anything else to her. But Ruth said, now they get to the new place. And Ruth said, hey, let me go into this field. You know what that meant? You see, it was according to Jewish law for the poor people, the people that had more, just leave some for the poor people behind so they would go in the fields. And this is what gleaning in the fields meant. Let's leave some behind for the poor. And so the poor people would come by and they would, they would, they would get what was left over. And so she said, let me go and get us some food. So she's honoring her, wanting to take care of her. And she ends up in a part of the field that belongs to a man named Boaz. Everybody say alignment. Alignment. (sighs) What's the sine qua non? What makes the goodness of God work through relationships? Everybody say honor. Honor. Alignment. Alignment. And here's the third thing, gratitude. Listen very carefully now. Because maybe you don't care about good relationships. But the goodness of God is revealed, first of all, to you and then through relationships that you have. That's how you know if you're in wrong relationships. If there's no honor, if there's dishonor, there's a wrong relationship. That's how you know in bad alignments. Oh, if I ask every person here, how many of you ever had a bad business deal? You got got in bed in business with somebody you shouldn't have been with. Oh, there'll be a lot of hands that go up. Please don't raise your hand. How have you hired some people? You thought they were going to be the greatest thing since melted butter, and all they did was melt your butter. Honor, alignment. Now watch, gratitude. You know why people fall out of alignment? Because somebody ceases to be grateful. Yeah. 
Mike, you know what I'm talking about. Because, you know, when you're a giver and you do a lot for people, and then all of a sudden ingratitude sets in, and what's weird is it starts messing up the alignment, and it goes all the way up not to honor but to dishonor. And all of a sudden, here you are. You've got the best interest in mind for somebody, but then dishonor starts to come back, and it messes up the alignment. And all of a sudden, it's not good anymore because the goodness of God is not seen because somebody stopped being grateful, and somebody started dishonoring. So when somebody tells me, and all these guys have, Mark has told me this, that Greg doesn't know, he's never been on staff at a church before. Buddy's told me this, uh, Jeremy's told me this, this is the greatest place. This is the greatest place I've ever worked. Jeremy's worked in two, this is the greatest. And you know what I say to him? I hope you always feel that way. Because I know how it works. The sine qua non is honor, alignment. And then continual gratitude. You see, if I stop being grateful for her, let me just tell you something. It'll mess up this alignment. If I stop apologizing like I did this morning. We had, we had a fight last night. Anybody here ever fight? Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you are going to hell. <laughs> We're the, we're the pastors, and we have tough times sometimes. And this morning when she brought me coffee unannounced, I didn't ask for it. And I reached out my hand. I said, come here and hold my hand. And I apologized. And we got to work through our stuff. Why? Because I'm grateful enough to say I'm sorry. I don't want to fight. I'm, I, it, last night, the apology wasn't enough. Cat, you know what I'm talking about. I need you to say it again, Brandon, this morning. So gratitude, everybody say gratitude. Then Boaz is walking through his field. He sees her. Hey, who's that? So the servant that was in charge of the reaper said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, here's what she said to her mother-in-law, Boaz. She said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers for the sheaves. And she came and she's continued all morning until now, although she did rest a little bit. Then Boaz said to Ruth, he walks over to her, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? She's just a little poor, barren, widow trying to get enough to eat for her and Naomi to eat that day. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say right now. Boaz says to her, he said, don't go glean in any other field. Don't go from here. Everybody say alignment. And what I want you to do is to understand that there's going to be enough for you here. And by the way, I've already talked to all the young men in this field. They're not going to touch you. You know why? Because when you were a widow, no matter even how old you are, were, or if you were barren, men would take advantage of you. I know that didn't happen today. But back then, it happened a lot. And it was okay. It didn't matter if it was a priest. It didn't matter who it was. They could just come in, and they could actually ramsack a widow's house. Jesus addressed that on a few occasions. He says, I want you to stay close. I've already talked to the young men. They're not going to touch you. He said, let your eyes be on this field. 
Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, by the way, there's going to be vessels for you to drink that the young men have drawn, and that's all they're going to give you is water. She fell on her face. She bowed down to the ground. She said, why have I found favor? Everybody say gratitude. Everybody say alignment. Everybody say honor. Why have I found favor that you would take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. And Boaz said, it has been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and your land of birth. You left your origin and you chose a family of choice. And you've come to a people that you did not know. And then here's what Boaz said. The Lord repay your work and full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel because it is under his wings. It's under his wings that you've come for refuge. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to be a vessel and, and he's brought you into this field. And I don't know what all that means. I can just tell you as owner of this field, this is going to be a place where you will flourish. Why? Because you're an honorable person. You've aligned yourself with the right people in the right place at the right time. And in this field, the right things are going to happen for you. And it's not going to be because Boaz blesses you, but it's going to be because God is going to bless you. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight. You've comforted me and you spoke kindly to me. And what that tells you is men didn't speak kindly to women. And I'm not even one of your maid servants. You see, the sine qua non, the things that happen in relationships so the goodness of God can be seen or honor. Everybody say honor. It's alignment. Everybody say alignment. It's gratitude. Say gratitude. And then something amazing happens. The assignments become something that God begins to open up in your life. Men, I want to talk to you just for a second. And again, you can let this go in one ear and out the other. And it's the American way to chase money, to chase dream, to chase your career, to go where the money is. I want to ask a question. Nobody answer this out loud. Don't answer it out loud. Just think about what I'm saying. It's, this part's going to make sense. If you could get a $100,000 a year raise and move to California... Would you do it? No, don't answer. Because that's an obvious no, I hope. Because if you think Frisco's expensive to live in, go try to get you something in California, y'all. You see, that's easy. It's a no-brainer because we know. But watch this. So many men, they're chasing what they do know because their ego is attached to their work and their ego is attached to their position and they're running all over the freaking country and they're dragging their kids with them from school to school, from city to city because it's about their career and it's not about the kingdom. They're seeking first their career and the right way to do their career, but they're not seeking first the kingdom of God and doing things God's way. And I'm telling you, here's what the Bible says. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. You see, here's the point. Ruth, you got to know your people. Bill, you got to know your people. George, you got to know your people. Gene, you got to know your people. No matter what happens, no matter how disappointing it is, no matter what, what was supposed to happen that didn't happen, you got to know who your tribe is and who your people are. And when the tough times come, guess what you do? I just know who my who's are, and I'm going to let God take care of the what's. This isn't understood by most people. Listen to me. That's why there's more orphans in the world, orphans in the world, than there are Ruths. 
But let's look at what happens as I close. Ruth did not cling to Naomi because of what Naomi and her were going to do together or because she could see any tangible benefit. Ruth just wanted to be with Naomi. Who do you just want to be with? Because you see something in them. You see a spirit. You see, not because, hey, maybe we can, maybe we can do business. Maybe we can have a relationship. Maybe we can. No, who, who are you by the spirit attracted? See, this, this is missing. This is the sine qua non that's missing. People, people, they don't connect the dots. And so they run, they, they run in and out of marriages. They run in and out of business. They run out, they're running in and out of friendships. It's like the sine qua non is not followed. And I can tell you in law, if you know sine qua non, they'll go all the way back. Let's describe it this way. You're driving down the street. You throw something out of your car. It hits the ground and it hits a semi-truck trailer in, the, in his vision. He runs over somebody, kills somebody. The sine qua non is who threw the thing out the door. We understand it in the natural. It's not just the trucker's fault. It's the guy who threw the thing out of the car that hit the windshield of the trucker that made the trucker crash. But we can't figure it out based on the goodness of God. God, like, how does this work? If you're a good God, if I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of living, how does it work? Honor, alignment, gratitude, assignment. And not because, hey, I'm going to do business with you. Let me talk to all the business people. Listen, I coach over 122 small business owners and CEOs. And let me tell you the mistake that guys make in getting into business with people. They go into business with people. They make partnerships with people who don't have the same values that they do. And eventually it never works. Not sometimes. Eventually it never works. Listen, you can do business with people who don't have the same values. But you can't do partnerships with people who don't have the same values. And you can't do marriage with people that don't have the same values. It doesn't work. You can't figure, it's like, I, I can't figure out why that didn't work. Big question, does anybody get anything out of this? I know it's a little bit unusual. I hope it's helping you. Now listen very carefully. What attracts us to be aligned with certain people, whatever that is for you, I don't know what it is. But what attracts us to be connected with certain people never needs to be contingent upon a transactional opportunity, but a recognition of spirit to spirit. And that connect will produce transformational results. We must hold to this belief. It's a Ruth belief. I'm supposed to be with you. I'm not with you if things work out. I'm not with you if you hold up your end of the bargain. No, I'm just supposed to be with you. Like I'm supposed to be with you. And if you're going to be the kind of Ruth in the Naomi-Ruth relationship, it's probably going to be more you than them. Welcome to marriage. Or a good one. But here's the last thing. Long story short, it's just four chapters. You can go read it for yourself. Boaz and Ruth get together. They get married. This divorced, barren woman marries the richest man in Bethlehem. And they have a son. And his name is Obed. And Obed has a son. And his name is Jesse. 
And Jesse has a son, and his name is David, that we put king before his name. You see, what's the result of this sine quonam? When you honor, when you align with the right people in the right place at the right time, when you stay grateful, that's what Thanksgiving is about, by the way, to remind us to stay grateful for what we need to be grateful for. I'm not grateful for you right now. You made me mad. And that same attitude goes into the next day. Then it goes into the next week. I'm not going to express to you. You've done more wrong than right. It goes into the next month. It goes into the next year. And pretty soon, I can't even be with you anymore. You see, the last thing that happens before people get divorced is what's called contempt. It's the craziest thing. That person, you looked in their eyes and you're like, I'm out every time you look at me that way. I mean, that kind of spiritual But it doesn't take long to you look in those eyes. You, I can't even stand to look at you. I can't even stand to be around you. I don't know what it, I, I, I can't. Sine quonam. Honor or dishonor. Alignment or wrong alignment. Gratitude or ingratitude. Right assignment or wrong assignment. And finally, great legacy or not so great. King David. He wasn't always a king. He was anointed three different times. Long story short, before he was ever king, he was anointed. 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. One day his dad comes to him. He's just a young boy. He says, I want you to go up to the battle lines and I want you to give your brother some cheese and bread. And so he's so excited. He goes up and he can't wait to see him fight the Philistines. And he goes up and they're freaked out. They're afraid. They're on top of one mountain. The children of Israel and the Philistines, their arch enemy, are on the other side. And all of a sudden, David is watching. The crowd goes silent because the biggest giant he's ever seen in his life comes down into the valley. What was his name? And all of a sudden, David said, who does he think he is? That he would defy the armies of the living God. And they're going, his older brother said, David, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a shepherd boy. Keep your mouth shut. He said, I want to know what's going to happen to the guy who kills that guy. And they said, well, here's what King Saul said. King Saul said, he'll never have to pay taxes again or his whole family. He also gets to marry one of King Saul's daughters. Okay, that's enough. Okay, he goes, wait, wait, now tell me that one more time. Okay, the guy that kills that guy, what's going to happen to him? Well, what's going to happen to him is his family doesn't have to pay taxes anymore. He'll become wealthy and he gets to marry one of the king's daughters. I mean, before his other brothers, Abinadab and Shammah could say anything else, he takes off down the mountain, runs into the valley, and he's running towards this giant. And the giant starts to scream something like this. Is this the best you guys got? I mean, you send me a dog? You better stop where you're running, little boy, because I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. Of the you better run back up there. Who... This is what you got. He's not wearing any armor. What are you doing? And David, big smile on his face. The goodness of God. The goodness of God has gone before him. He's running in faith. He's not walking in faith. He's running in faith. He plans this. If you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, I just want you to know, I come to you today in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the goodness of God that's on my life. And today, I'm not only going to feed your, your flesh to the birds of the air, but I'm going to cut your head the way you think off here's Ruth's grandson 
facing Orpah's grandson. Oh, oh, who was Orpah? She was the other daughter-in-law that went back to Moab. They said, I love y'all, but I got to go back to my people, my values, what I think. And her downline was a Goliath, a giant. Ruth's downline was a king in the making and the future great-great-grandfather of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you think that the goodness of God matters in your relationships? Oh, it does. You need to decide your who's, because I'm going to tell you something. Listen, I'm going to pray for you, but listen very carefully what I'm going to tell you. I promise you that the devil's number one strategy against you, listen very carefully now to what I'm saying, is for you to never give your heart to the right people, but keep giving your heart to the wrong people. You say, how do you know it's the right people? When your spirit knows I can honor you, I want to align my life with you, I'm grateful for you, and no matter what you do, this is the position that I take. And by the way, Naomi doesn't bless you. If you're aligned with Keith Craft, he doesn't bless you. If you're aligned with Boaz, he doesn't bless you. The Lord God Almighty will repay you for being that kind of person. We're not talking about the goodness of a man. We're not talking about the goodness of a woman. We're talking about the goodness of God. He knows your story. He knows your honor. He knows how you've, what you've given up to be aligned. He knows you, you've been grateful when you could have been ungrateful, but you stayed in that place because you got your who right. God said you're never going to have to worry about your what. It's just going to keep perpetually going. And out of you is going to come king out of you are going to come priest out of you are going to come greatness out of you are going to come the glory of God out of you is going to come the goodness of God and in your future no matter what you face the goodness of God is going to be on your side in the name of Jesus thanks for listening to this week's podcast make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book Your Divine Fingerprint and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.